Interviewing the leading private equity executives and unlocking the secrets of success. Welcome to the Private Equity Podcast with Alex Rawlings. everybody and welcome back to the Private Equity Podcast. Joining us today is Eric Anderson, an experienced private equity-backed Chief Operations Officer in the health tech space. Welcome and thank you very much for sharing your insights with us today, Eric. Thank you, Alex. Excellent. So as is customary, if you could give us a 60 to 90 second breakdown of you, please. Sure. So I'll start at the beginning. I was raised on a beef cattle farm in Northern Virginia outside of Washington, D.C. And I'll tell you one thing, Alex, about growing up on a farm is you learn that there are a lot of variables you can't control, and yet you still got to get the job done. You can't control the weather. You sometimes can't control the animals, but you got to get the job done. I uh, have an undergraduate degree in accounting, an MBA with a concentration in finance. In 1995, I joined Ernst & Young's management consulting practice in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and that's where I really got into technology. I spent the first 15 years of my career as a management consultant for Fortune 500 companies. And at one point, I actually worked for a Fortune 500 company, helped them craft their e-business strategy. And when I took that job in 1999, I told them there's only one problem. I don't really know that much about the internet. So they said, don't worry about that. They sent me out to Stanford University, the Silicon Valley e-commerce program. This is 1999. And one of the things that was fascinating is Everything they said would happen, happened. <laughs> so there's a reason that Stanford has a great reputation. But in 2010, I decided it was time to stop consulting and start doing. Being a consultant is a lot of fun, don't get me wrong, but it's like flying in first class. You can whisper in the pilot's ear, but you don't get to fly the plane. And I really wanted to fly the plane. And so in 2010, I started this very small healthcare startup company. We had some revenue, but it was less than a million in revenue. And uh, 12 years later, We've had a tremendous amount of growth. We've had two successful private equity exits, and we're still growing rapidly. Excellent. Well, appreciate that, uh, that insight. And uh, I grew up on a farm myself, so Eric, I know what it's uh, awesome. it looks like. Fortunately, wasn't wasn't a farmer. I managed to get away from any of the uh, the hands-on work, but uh, certainly can appreciate the uh, the upbringing that certainly brings. And uh, yes, there is no elements that you cannot certainly control. So what's one mistake that you see, Eric, private equity firms or portfolio companies making? What actions would you suggest to correct them, please? So so I'm going to combine it to sort of my world, which is healthcare. So so last year there were in the U.S., there were 1,400 healthcare acquisitions by private equity, the tune of $206 billion. So there's tremendous amount of change that is occurring in, in healthcare in the United States. And it's a great time to invest in healthcare because with change comes opportunity. I would say that one of the one of the possible mistakes that private equity groups could could maintain or could could result in in a problem for them is not having experienced executives who really know the private equity space. It doesn't mean everybody on the executive team has to be an expert in healthcare, but there's so much unique qualities to the healthcare market that you need someone that understands their differences. And I'm an example of that because in 2010 when I joined my current company I was steeped in technology, right? And I thought, hey, 
it's all technology, it's software. What difference does it make? Well, healthcare is very different than any other industry in the United States. And so what's going to happen in many cases in 2023 is going to be very different from what's happened in the last couple of years. And in some cases, there's going to be businesses that have had a solid track record of performance. And all of a sudden, because of some big themes and trends in the market, they're going to be facing some challenges with churn, with growth. I mean, if you look at the healthcare market, you've got provider consolidation, you've got revenue and cost pressures, you've got vendor consolidation. And by the way, a lot of that's being driven by private equity investment. And so I think that the mistake to avoid is thinking that you can bring in an executive team who maybe isn't steeped in healthcare, even though they've been extremely successful in the past, that success may not translate well given the unique characteristics of healthcare. So what I would suggest is the corrective action is You've got to understand the big themes in healthcare, what's happening right now, and more importantly, what's going to be happening next year and the years to come. They're going to impact your ICP. They're going to impact your TAM. And if anybody tells you that healthcare tomorrow is going to be more like yesterday than today, they're simply not paying attention. So very exciting time to be in healthcare, great opportunities for investments, but there's also a lot of money chasing deals. And so I think it would be important for private equity groups to make sure that they've got someone on the team who can give them insights that are going to help them make a good investment. Yeah, it's a difficult one. There's a lot of obviously capital available depending on whether you fundraised two years ago or a year ago or so. Obviously, fundraising at the moment is difficult with the uncertainty of uh, of the world as we go into 2023. Uh, this was recorded right at the end of 2022 for anybody listening. So, yeah, it's an interesting one, but certainly information is is king and, and being able to make those right investments for any private equity firm is incredibly important. Well, it's funny to hear you say that because uh, the Wall Street Journal did an article recently that said that October, okay, typically is the busiest month for private equity investments. And this October is down 40% from last October. So, so clearly there's been a change in the investments and yet there's still great opportunity. And I think that the changing dynamics in healthcare, you're going to end up with stranded assets. I, I think there's going to be immense opportunity next year. Well, let's, let's hope so. We do a lot of uh, searches in private equity-backed healthcare companies. Uh, so certainly the, the more growth, the, uh, the better for everybody. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned in your opening gambit about you know the time you spent with Clearwave Corporation. You mentioned the two exits you've completed, both with uh, private equity-backed positions and see incredible revenue growth from that perspective. So tell us about some of the challenges that that you've encountered during that growth period and phenomenal growth period of that? So when we started the company, it was uh, angel investor backed, friends and family. Some were closer friends than others. And we knew that we had, we just knew. The market didn't know it, right? Our investors in some cases didn't know, but we knew we had the product and the market to be successful. What happened though, as often happens to companies like ours, is we got to a certain point where in order to get to that next level, we needed a new round of investment. And and our investors just were not capable, able to make that investment. And in some cases, they wanted an exit. And so we knew that to get where we needed to go, we needed private equity investment. And so we found a great private equity company that we partnered with. And when we did that, we were able to change our pricing structure. So we no longer needed that upfront money because we we were funding the business, right? So we were able to convert to 100% ARR and we were able to make a strategic acquisition of a complementary product. And those two things together 
were game changing for our company. In 31 months, we tripled the size of the business and we increased our enterprise value by six times in 31 months. That simply doesn't happen without private equity. And so I think that the challenge we faced and the reason that we we went the private equity route is we needed capital to be able to take the business to the next level. And that means private equity. Makes sense. So having capital doesn't always guarantee, well, certainly doesn't guarantee success. So <laughs> well, there's plenty of examples of, uh, of people having uh, invested capital and things going wrong, but clearly mm-hmm. a success in your perspective. What were your first kind of points for the need for the capital? Where did that, well, maybe where did that capital get deployed immediately? Where was the need there in the organization to accelerate the growth? It enabled us, number one, to change our pricing strategy because capital freed us from needing the upfront fees to make payroll, just yeah. to put a pretty pretty clear line on that. So it freed us to, to make a strategic investment in our clients and in ourselves to say, hey, we'll take the risk of not getting that upfront fee because now the value of that client and the ARR increases about 40%. So that was one way we deployed it. The other way we deployed it was in a growth, go-to-market strategy, adding salespeople. Let, let me say this, Alex. So when prior to private equity, and I couldn't have quoted you this back then, okay, but our gross churn was less than 5%. Our net retention was 118%. I didn't know those numbers as such because we were running the business by visual flight rules. So if you're a pilot and you're qualified for VFR, what that means is if it's sunny, if the sky is clear, you can fly because you have reference to the horizon, you have reference to the ground, you can see other planes. That's how we ran the business. We were small enough, we knew our customers, we knew they were happy, we knew they were buying more things, but it was all VFR. So what private equity did was it wasn't just the capital, Mm -hmm. it was the knowledge of how to run the business and how to scale the business. And now we run the business by instrument flight rules. I don't need to see the horizon anymore. It can be foggy, it can be rainy, it doesn't matter because now we have health metrics. And I can tell you right now what percentage of our clients are satisfied, what percentage of our clients are at risk, high risk. I can tell you anything you wanna know about our pipeline, right? Our go-to-market strategies. So private equity did not just bring investment. What they brought was a game plan, a playbook that enabled us to step up our game, change the way we viewed the business, change the way we ran the business. And at the end of the day, you can't have one without the other. But if we had had the capital without that game plan and changing the way we ran the business, we would not have been successful. So it was those two things together that actually made us successful. And of course, you have to be willing to run those plays. Within the private equity firm, where did that knowledge come from? Did that come from the investment guys? Was there an operating partner in the firm? Yeah, there, there, there was an operating partner that that we were we were teamed up with, and we spent a lot of time in those early days in in a conference room talking about our go to market strategy, talking about where we win, where we lose, why, how should we adjust our pricing, and of course we had consultants, right? So I won't name any of them by name, but we had a pricing company did very good work for us that actually interviewed our clients and went out in the marketplace to sort of assess 
How elastic is our pricing? What's the sweet spot for what we should charge? So it was, it was certainly the operating partner. And yes, the investment committee was also involved. And in addition, we brought in, and of course, that's a great thing about private equity because they have these consultants that specialize in pricing or whatever the, the particular area is that we need to drill down on. So, I mean, it didn't just happen. Right? There was a lot of work and investment of time. And what's really fascinating about it is, I mean, we knew our business frontwards and backwards, right? And so in those sessions, it's a matter of the operating partner sort of teasing out that data and then us working collaboratively to say, okay, because look, prior to private equity, we didn't have a tier one strategy, right? <laughs> you know, I mean, this, the simple things, they're not complicated. It's like, hey, we've got tier one, we've got tier two, we've got tier three. How about if we tier our customers, we build an ideal client profile? And how about if we target our marketing investment and the trade shows that we go to on the tier one, right? So it's all those pieces, bringing them together, providing more focus and energy and direction. And then, hey, where are the gaps in our product? And are there any companies out there that, that we could acquire to fill those gaps? So it's all of that interplay of all of that together that uh, that made us successful. I think you've just done a really good advert as to why people should receive private equity investment and certainly yeah. the advocates of, of that situation. So it looked like we were kind of running without KPI metrics and, and pro, well, obviously, absolutely <laughs> weren't able to actually get it. And now you were obviously able to look at predictive analytics and been able to look at, right, okay, this is what's going to happen here. This is probably what mm-hmm. this quarter is going to look like because of this. And this is how we obviously then you went into, been into the marketing and, and uh, kind of your ideal customer persona and being able to build that out uh, and, uh, and driving that. So it sounds like a lot of that knowledge from the operating partner and obviously the investment committee with the investors in there in the PE firm gave you those kind of tools as well as capital in order to grow, which, you know, is a big part of private equity is not just the yeah. money. Well, I, I would say, Alex, that being acquired by private equity is like getting an Ivy League executive MBA. I've learned more in the last four years under two different private equity groups about growing and scaling businesses than I learned in the previous 20. I mean, it is... Being acquired by private equity is like being being brought into a championship team, right? So here's the deal. When you're brought into a championship team, you're going to have to raise up your game, right? You're, you're going to have to play better, but they're going to help you get better. And you're going to have to execute some plays that you haven't done before. You're going to have to learn a new scheme that you haven't done before. But, you know, there's a reason championship teams are champions, right? Private equity wins. And winning is a lot more fun than losing. And so, yeah, you're going to have to change. You're going to have to adapt. And if you do, you're going to you're going to be so much more knowledgeable and capable at the end of that journey than you could possibly even imagine. Knowledge is certainly power. So, just thinking about the process, if I'm a so I'm listening to this, I'm a private equity investor. Deal competition is incredibly you know competitive. Yeah. You went through a process there of obviously choosing a private equity firm. I'm sure you didn't just look at one. What were the kind of things that you were looking for when you were doing the process of selecting a PE firm initially to obviously invest in the business? Um, yeah. And also, what are the, some of the maybe the things that you now would consider if you were going through that process again, just to help a private equity in, in, investor think, what can we communicate to a potential first-time PE back business um, to, to go with us as opposed to another PE firm? I think understanding of the business, right? So so being able to come to the table with an understanding 
of the healthcare industry, of the space that we operate in. Because clearly, if the PE group has no experience in your business, no experience in your industry, who knows how that's going to go, right? So so you want to achieve a level of comfort that they understand the market in which you operate in. And this may sound uh, counterintuitive a little bit, uh, because on the one hand, you might say, well, gosh, say whisper sweet things in your ear or make you feel good about yourself, right? But the reality is, are they challenging you, right? Are they asking tough questions? Are they kind of putting their finger on any pain points that you have? Uh, that, to me, instills confidence because it shows that they, they're really double-clicking and they're really diving in to the business. And, and one of the things that has impressed me about the managing partners that I've worked with and, and the operating partners that I've worked with at two different firms now is how quickly they came to grasp the dynamics of the business and the market. Because again, if if they don't understand it, how are we ever going to figure out the right way to go from here to here? So, so I think that bringing that knowledge and understanding of the business, but also challenging you on key points about the business and, and drilling into those areas, it can be uncomfortable. We had some fairly uh, exciting conversations prior to finalizing the investment. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't all easy, but again, at the end of the day, we, and, and by the way, we had investors, right? Friends and family that we wanted to protect and take care of. And so, and so we believe that all things considered, because at the end of the day, let's be honest, for the, those investors, we have a fiscal responsibility to make sure they get the best return possible. So even if maybe we had wished we had gone with you know a different group, we also have to maximize the value. So at the end of the day, the size of the bid uh, is very, very important, but there are other things that that you need to consider. So so I would say that you know all that taken together, I like it when they understand the business, they push you and challenge you because that is an attempt to understand and of course uh, offer a fair a fair price. Absolutely. There's always money and element to everything. You, <laughs> you can't get away from it. <laughs> and you both pitch the same, all the rest of it comes into play. And even if you just slightly below, nobody wants to get in, you know, into bed for a better term, a better analogy. Nobody wants to get into bed with somebody that they're not confident with and they're not comfortable with. So yeah. if it's a close, close betting deal, you're gonna get a lease. Well, look, these guys are coming here. If you guys go there, then we'll we'll do it. Everyone knows the sale negotiation process from there. So that that's uh yeah, that's pretty sound. And, and if I could, you know, for a moment for anyone listening who might be an executive at a company that is, you know, considering an exit, this is a US based rule, but one of the things I wish I had known is there's an IRS regulation called 280G. So we had the same three people, okay, that that were running this company for years. And we always had an understanding of our employment agreement and what would happen if a transaction happened. Foolishly, we never baked that into an employment agreement until nine months prior to the actual transaction. And under Section 280G, if you have an agreement that's less than a year old, and then there's various other provisions that kick in, you have to get 75% of your shareholders, which is a pretty high bar, to agree to sort of enforce that employment agreement. And if that does not happen, there's excise taxes and it's a nightmare and no PE group's going to want to deal with it. We actually got 94% of our shareholders to agree. But one thing I would say to any executives that are considering a private equity exit, or even right now before you're considering it even better, make sure that your employment agreements and all of that is is set in stone before you start the journey because uh, 
that was a painful learning process. Pretty sound, uh, sound advice. Sorry to interrupt here, just a quick note to highlight our new sponsor, Greta. The private equity market is rapidly shifting to a data-driven, proprietary deal sourcing standard. Greta provides the window into over 7 million middle market private companies. Contact Greta so you can access the market first. Request a demo at www.grata.com. Now back to the podcast. So you've been through the you know, the private equity back process now, completed two exits. What advice would you give to private equity executives on that exit process, such as great advice as you just shared about some regulations there? Well, I think that what I would say, and I think that it's probably unusual that that I'm I'm still here uh, in the sense that I'm the last C-level executive still in their original seat, right? CEO is gone, CFO is gone. <laughs> you know, I mean, all, all those folks are gone. And I would say that the key to the exit process is from an executive standpoint, you've got to adapt and you've got to step up your game. There's going to be a playbook and you're going to have to learn that playbook and you're going to have to execute against that playbook. And I think that if, and I'm turning your question a little bit around, but I'll get back to the original question as it relates to PE. But I think that if if you have a business and, and you're just looking to cash out, that's fine. Move on. If you have a business where you want to endorse and cash that check, but you don't want to change, you're, you're fooling yourself, right? I mean, there, there's, you have got to be ready to change and you've got to adapt and grow and run the plays. And if you're willing to do that, it's going to be very exciting. And I think from the private equity group, what I have seen is they've come in. To me, it was completely transparent. Look, when the first private equity group came in, they said, and keep in mind, see, our CEO was the founder. This was his baby, his child. Okay. And by the way, if I can make one comment about our founder, he's the only person I know. You could be on a 60 foot yacht in the Caribbean and he could come up to you rowing on a two by four and convince you that that two by four is more seaworthy than the 60 foot yacht you're on. It's a very rare talent. And this guy has it, but they said, we're changing the CEO, right? This was before the deal. Okay, they said, look, we're, we're going to appreciate everything you've done, but we're going to bring in a new CEO. And and so they were transparent that that was going to happen. And I, and I give our founder a lot of credit because he said, hey, this is the right thing for the company. It's the right thing for the shareholders. I'm good. But what would have happened if they had not been transparent? What would have happened? And they said, oh, no, you're fine. We're not going to change you. And then they changed. How would that because because he is and was widely loved, right, in the organization. So if that had been not been handled in an upfront, forthright manner, even though this is one of those uncomfortable conversations, nobody had fun <laughs> in that conversation, right? But it was transparent and it was straightforward and everybody knew what was going to happen and we were on board with it. So I think that being, because change is going to come and being transparent about those changes and then the the spirit of of partnership where the operating partner was on the ground with us right was right there right at the table helping us figure things out it was very collaborative so i think that you know that type of of upfront even if it's difficult even if it's uncomfortable it's going to make all the difference because it's going to help you move faster after the transaction okay okay good uh Definitely good uh, good advice, and I think that openness and candidness and in the initial process obviously makes things clear. I know within you know if we think of private equity investors selling, it can be you know, we really need to get this deal closed, and we'll kind of say anything, and that's a good indication that their deal flow isn't very good, and yeah. to have a number of deals that you're going through, which sometimes I appreciate it's difficult, and you know 
like anything in, in any organization where, you know, you have to, you have to hit X, Y, and Z, but, you know, it comes down to what have you got going on in your business. So you mentioned yeah. something interesting there. So private equity does have a reputation post-exit of a, of a business to, to make a change. Obviously, you sold to private equity, you then sold again um, to another mm-hmm. private equity firm. So what is your secret? Because you're clearly the only one left, um, as you mentioned, <laughs> that's the C-suite team. So how have you managed to stay on post-exit and not gone through that change process? Or what, what have you gone through that, that's, that's enabled you to, to remain in that seat, I suppose? So I think that there's a multi-tiered answer uh, to that. So, so the first thing I would say is that private equity gets a bad rap for the wrong reason. And I think, I think so let me say it this way. If, if you're acquired by private equity and there's some little crack somewhere, and it was a little crack, nobody knew about it, nobody cared about it, was you scale the pressure of scaling is going to expose all of those weaknesses, right? And it would be lazy and untrue to say, oh, everything was fine until private equity bought us. And now that private equity bought us, we have all these problems. No, it's your scaling is why you have all those problems. Private equity is simply enabling you to scale. So I think that you know, and as you scale, whether or not private equity is involved, culture is going to evolve. Right. The business is going to evolve. And so for me, you know, I think private equity gets a bad rap for the wrong reasons. Right. Because the, the, a lot of those things that people complain about private equity, it's just part of growing up, folks. <laughs> OK, it's part of going from a teenager to an adult. You know, yeah, life was a lot simpler when I lived it with mom and dad and I was 15 and didn't have to pay any bills. Well, guess what? You're, you're grown up now and, and there's going to be new challenges. And I would say that for me. You got to be open minded. You know, I remember an operating partner was talking to me about objectives and key results, OKRs. I had never heard the term, never heard the term. And I said, is there a book on that? He said, as a matter of fact, there is. Measure What Matters by John Doerr. I read that book in 36 hours. I just I mean, it's not a hard read. Anybody's read it. It's an easy read. But it completely changed the way that I think about setting objectives as measured by the way I track key results. And so embracing those types of concepts and 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 having an agile mind, that's the secret. And it's it's not hard. I mean, it, you know, it's not. You just you just have to understand what's the playbook. And by the way, they'll tell you, you know, you know, they'll say, hey, this is our playbook. This is what we want to do. This want to execute. So you just need to change up, learn the playbook, learn the plays. Yeah, you might have to read a book or two. Right. But figure it out. And and that's the key to staying on board is, well, you got to deliver results. So first and foremost, let, let's start there. But but you've got to be agile and you've got to be willing to change and grow. And as a leader, you've got to help your team change and grow, because if your team falls apart in this process, then you fail. So so you've got to bring everybody along with you. And it's a journey. Absolutely. I've just made a note of that book and uh, I'll be uh, taking a look at that myself. But yeah, me- you know, you mentioned earlier that measurement of metrics and understanding all of that's a very important, important element, something that private equity does incredibly well. And uh, like the analogy with regards to the crack and, you know, as that gets bigger, as you scale and, you know, private equity's brought all these problems, knows these are problems we have, but we had before, we just now... We didn't know we had them. Um, and <laughs> we had them. Exist because we're now double the size, triple the size, four times the size, and therefore, uh, you know, that little crack is now the Niagara Falls and everybody's falling down it. So makes sense. So what three attributes do you believe make a top performer, Eric? 
So first and foremost is follow through. If you say you're going to do something, do it. My favorite word in the English language is done. That's my favorite word in the English language. There is never any excuse to not get something done. I believe that tasks expand to fill the time allotted. You give somebody three weeks to do something, it takes three weeks. You give them three days, it takes three days. Now, everybody's busy, right? But if you're too busy to get something done, you need to reprioritize. You need to be creative. You have got to get it done. If anyone ever has to ask you, is this done yet? Have you ever follow up on that? You either took too long or you weren't communicating. By all means, if you need help, raise your hand and ask for help. But there's never an excuse to get it done. If you follow through, that's a key performer. Number two, never make assumptions. Never make assumptions. In God, we trust all others bring data. I will tell you from my personal experience, if you were to ask me a question about our business, I might believe that the answer is A, and I might be pretty convinced the answer is A, but the data may show me that the answer is really B. And so never make assumptions, dive into the data and find out because it gets back to visual flight rules, right? Your eyes lie to you all the time. You know, something may happen with one client. Oh, that's probably a problem for everybody. Yeah, maybe not. <laughs> maybe, maybe it's only a problem for them, right? So never make assumptions, have data that underlies your argument because I will have people come to my office and they'll tell me something and I'll ask about the data. They haven't looked at the data. And if you haven't looked at the data, then come back when you have, right? Or I'll look at the data, but never make assumptions. And the third and final thing is ownership. You have to own the outcome, right? You you can't always control everything. In fact, most times you can't control everything, but you do own the outcome. If you're making the numbers, great, good on you. If you're not making the numbers, have a plan to change the dynamics such that you can make the numbers. You know, top performers are not frozen in place. Top performers are constantly moving. They're not bringing problems. They're bringing solutions. And I can still picture this like it was yesterday in 1995 at Ernst & Young, 40th floor, they had this big poster and it showed this guy and he's in a full business suit, his ties flying behind him. He's got ice skates on and he is just running and the ice under his feet is cracking. Right. And, and the tagline was in times of change, your best ally is speed. Right. Yeah, you can't control that the ice is cracking, but you can control how fast you're skating, right? So, so you know, you've got to own the outcome. And if you follow through, if you support your arguments with data, don't make assumptions, and you own the outcome, man, if the world was full of people like that, what a great place it would be. Love all three of those. And thank you very much for the detailed explanation around that as well. So what do you love about the private equity industry, Eric, and what do you dislike about it? So what what I love about it is the innovation that it drives and the immediacy of the drive, right? We're going to do this and we're going to do it really quickly, right? I just love that. And and here in the US, the healthcare industry has so many problems. I promise you, private equity is going to be a huge ingredient in solving those problems because it drives innovation and it's already happening. The speed with which doctors are having to change the way they do things, a lot of that's being driven by private equity, but a lot of it's also being driven by the healthcare insurance market. And there's many other factors at play here. But the bottom line is private equity drives innovation. It creates jobs. We have so many more people working here now than we ever did before. It creates value for investors. And oh, by the way, since we've deployed our solution much more widely, it's made doctors' lives better. It's made patients' lives better. It's made the administrative staff completely change their world. 
All that made possible by private equity, pushing us to get better, to grow, to scale. And so, you know, private equity makes all of that possible. So from my view, that's what I love about it. And I think that, you know, and look, I realize there's there's people out there that, that have a lot of bad things to say about private equity. But I, I think that those bad things they have to say is because they don't want to change, right? Because they don't want to adapt, because they don't want to innovate, because they don't want to scale. And that's fine. You know, you can do that. I was recently talking to a CEO of a business. It's a software company. And she's really smart, young, and has built a nice little business. And she and I said, what, what, what are your goals for the future? And she said, well, I want to grow to this size, and then I want to stay there. And, you know, that sounds great. No, I, I mean, I get it, right? Okay. But here's the deal. If you're not growing, you're dying. And if you if you're trying to hold this position, the world may pass you by. So I'm going to talk to her more about that. But but you've got to be willing to grow and innovate. And, you know, I think that, again, with private equity comes change. Right. My CEO, founding CEO, good friend of mine, still a good friend of mine. And he had to move on. You know, I mean, that was just part of the part of the arrangement. He knew that we knew that. So I think that uh, I don't really have anything bad to say about it. I think that what you need to do is ask yourself if you're if you're going to partner with a private equity group are you ready to change are you ready to grow and if you're not then then don't do it okay makes perfect perfect sense there what what do you just there's a lot of love about private equity in there what what do you just like about it <sighs> okay well so so um um so it's a good question so i think that what can be challenging is inevitably um, some things are going to get investment and some are not, right? I mean, you're not going to, not everywhere in the business is going to get huge investment. And so if you're on the side of that where you're not getting the investment, that's going to force you to be creative. Uh So I think that sometimes, right, we don't always agree on the right place to make an investment or on a right strategy, right? And, and, And at the end of the day, they're going to make that call and that's the play you have to run. So, so that can be uncomfortable, but I, here's my thing. I don't honestly know how that's any different than any other, because everybody reports to somebody, right? Mm -hmm. If you're the CEO, you report to the board, the board's responsible to shareholders. So at the end of the day, you know, look, I, I don't think that it's specific and unique and particular to private equity that sometimes executives don't agree. Sometimes we're asked to do something that maybe, you know, we think isn't the best idea in the world, right? But I don't know how that's unique to private equity. What might be unique to private equity is the speed with which you're going to do it and the amount of scrutiny you're going to be under while you're doing it. That might be unique to private equity. But yeah, I mean, that's, but I, I just don't think, I think that that really is is related to the fact that you're growing and growing rapidly and that creates pressures. And yes, Private equity is going to be on you, right? And and you better know your numbers and you better deliver on your results. And if you don't, you better have some pretty good explanations as to why and how it's going to change. But again, see, I like that. So so if you don't like that, then then you know that that's a problem. So I get why people uh, people have a problem with it. But I think it comes down to sort of your outlook, right? How, how do you view the world? Yeah, I mean, it's the old adage of, of uh, I remember the image that went around LinkedIn considerably, and it was 
you know, picture of a load of people with uh, who wants change and everyone's got their hand up and then who wants to change and there's nobody with a hand up. So uh, <laughs> definitely, definitely get that that perspective. And, you know, individually we want things around us to change, but, you know, I think a lot of it's looking internally and, and wondering what we need to do differently in order to create different outcomes. And that's certainly a harder way, but, you know, it's, it's a lot of the executives that we've spoken to over, you know, decades or whatever else, it's definitely, you know, the good execs that have made that level of change. Well, and I, I think that the, the people that don't like it, that can't handle that pressure, I mean, that's that's where you get changes, right? That's where you get attrition, and, and it's good, right? It's good for them. It's good for the organization. So, you know, but I think that's a natural part of growth. Absolutely. So you've already mentioned one book, which we'll look at my notes here, Measure um, What Matters. What are other influences? What do you read, watch, listen to, and what would you recommend that others check out? So I read a lot. My my wife says, and I still like books, physical books. <laughs> so so my wife says she she lives for the day when my appetite for reading books exceeds my appetite for buying them. So I have a big stack of books that I've yet to read. But I will tell you, I recently finished uh, The Leadership Secrets of Nick Saban, which Nick Saban is an American uh, college football coach. And even if you don't like college football, uh, even if you don't like sports, what the book is about is about how do you build an organization and a culture that sustains excellence over a long period of time? And, and that's what that book is about. But, but here's the one I really want to underline for you, Alex, and you absolutely have to read it. I just started it. Like I'm on page 19. Okay. Of this book, but it is never split the difference negotiating as if your life depends on it. Have you heard of this book? I've, I've, it's on my read to do. I've got a big shelf over here. You, you need to pull that one down. I think it's pull that one down and start reading it. I mean, it's written by the top hostage negotiator for the FBI. Fascinating read. I, uh, really excited about that. And then the next one on my list is the power law, venture capital and the making of the new future. People tell me, and I haven't read it, but, but I've heard that, Hey, you're you're in this private equity world. You absolutely have to read that book. So when I finish the negotiating as if my life depends on it book, I'm going to read that one next. Absolutely. Well, appreciate that. I'm always, yeah, I'm a big fan of it. See behind me, there's an absolute list of uh, of books behind me. That's my red pile. Um, and then I've got, another, <laughs> I've got another case in the uh, bookcase in the office, which has that. Well, I applaud the fact that you still do the physical book. because Yeah, that. I'm all about that. I'm not a kid. Although I, I realized you could, um, at the weekend, I realized you could, uh, if you buy a Kindle, you can download a lot of these books for free where they're copyrighted. Oh, yeah. But yeah. Um, I was still like, yeah, I'm quite having the book and referencing back to it. And I keep looking yeah. right because that's where I've got a bookcase just full of <laughs> All of the books I've not uh, not yet read, and uh, and I just keep every time somebody recommends, I'll order it. It goes on there, whatever I kind of need at that time or feel I need at that time. And um, I said it literally in one of the we're doing end of year reviews here, and I just said, you know, it surprises me how many of the answers I'm looking for. I'm yeah. Uh, I'm reading a book, and it's like bang. I'm like oh, yeah, this, and then I'm like, I'll yeah. Now well, I mean, you look at measure what matters. It's measure what matters. It's not complicated at all. But it completely, you know, it was like, wow, oh, okay, that's how it's done. You know, it's it's great stuff. Just yeah, it can just be like, oh, this is happening at the moment. And then you like, right, I can coach one of my guys on this or deal with one of their challenges better. And you know, the better the better reg you are, uh, certainly certainly prepares uh, prepares it for business. So so I appreciate that. So Eric, you've shared a lot today, but if anybody wants to re- reach out and get in touch, how best do they uh, contact you, please? I would just say, uh, shoot me an email. It's andersonericd at gmail.com. 
Perfect. We'll put that into the into the show notes. So, Eric, thank you very much. I really appreciate all your insight. You leave us unique insight of that pre-private equity, selling to PE, staying on there, exiting a business, continuing that, and then going again now with a with another round of the new PE firm. So really appreciate your insight. Thank you very much for sharing everything you have. Thank you, Alex. Have a great day. Bye. And as always, thank you very much for joining us. And of course, should you ever need support with private equity professionals or portfolio executive hiring, please do reach out to us at Royal Selection. But till the next time, keep smashing it. And thank you very much for listening. Thank you for listening to the Private Equity Podcast on www.raw-selection.com. 